Lord, thank you so much that you are the one who never leaves the one behind. We see it all the time in various ways. And it doesn't make sense for the shepherd to leave the 99 and go after the one until you're that one. And when you're that one and you see the shepherd coming from you, you're, we're, we're so thankful. God, I know I have been that one on more than one occasion. But there have been times that I tried to run and you came to get me. And I'm so grateful for that. And I thank you, Lord, just for our time together this morning. I pray, God, that the voice that we hear would be yours. That our ears and hearts would be open to what you would speak to us today. May your grace and your power fill this place. In Jesus' name, amen. James chapter 4. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Encouraging words from the book of James. Bunch of adulterers and adulteresses that we are. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Lament, mourn, and weep. <laughs> Fun, huh? I like this passage. I really do. James continues today in his very practical and unapologetic style with a teaching on where the source of many of our problems come from, ourselves, and our desires for worldly pleasure. But then he gives us a solution, humble submission to God. So you ready? Good. All right, one person. One person's ready. The rest of you are like, don't worry. I tell you this all the time. You should see me in my office. Before I torture any of you with this, I have to go through it. I have, God deals with me on a lot of stuff. And I'm reading this like, let's just skip to verse 11. I mean, you know why. Everybody knows what this says. But we don't get to do that. In the opening three verses, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasure. So where do these wars and fights come from? Where do many of the difficulties we encounter truly come from? You know, we like to blame others. Well, it's that person's fault. They were mean to me. Or we like to blame the enemy. Oh, the devil made me do it. 
Or, and I don't want you to hear me incorrectly, we do have an enemy. And that enemy does want to destroy us. But realistically, not everything is his fault. I mean, he helps, but it's not his fault. There is spiritual warfare. There are those who like to do us harm or have a desire to do us harm. But so much of our problem comes from our own flesh, comes from our own worldly desires that cause both internal and external strife in our lives. It happens. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you war. Just think of the things that we want, the pleasures that we seek after, the selfishness we display, even in our closest relationships. We lust after worldly things. But do we lust after the things of God? We fight with people. We even hate other people because maybe they have something that we think we deserve or that we want or because we're, we're jealous of them or because we're not getting what we want from them. People in our lives are not commodities. You're not here for what I can get from you. You're here so I can serve you. My family's here so I can serve them. People in my lives are in my life. God put them there so I could serve them, so I could love them, not so I could look at them as a source of fulfilling my own selfish desires. This isn't what God has called us to. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We get this attitude, well, Lord, when you give me everything I want, then I'll seek you in your righteousness. But that's not the order that scripture puts it in, is it? Seek him first. His righteousness, which can only be given to us through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then what does he say? I'll take care of everything else. He says, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Luke 11, 9 through 10. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. I think one of our biggest issues as followers of Christ is if we simply give up on prayer. We stop seeking God when he feels like he's delaying his response. We stop asking because we feel like God is not listening or has not answered, and this is not what we've been taught to do. I'm going to let you in on a secret in case you don't already know. God always answers prayer. Always, always, always. Now, sometimes he says yes. And we tend to like that, don't we? When God, we go, Lord, all right, Lord, I, I need you to save this person. Or I'm praying for healing. Or I'm praying for this new job. Or I'm praying for a full house on Sunday morning. You guys have no idea how excited I am. And he says yes. And we praise him for it. And then sometimes he says no. Anyone who has kids knows that no is an answer. Right? It's not an answer we like, but it's still an answer. Lord, 
I, I just really need a million dollars. No, you don't. If you really needed a million dollars, you'd have it. Or, Lord, if I could just move to beautiful Gunnison. Well, he said yes to that. But, you know, some people, we, a lot of people in our state have to live over there. Do we think God loves us just a little bit more? Maybe. <laughs> I'm joking. God has a place for everybody. But sometimes he says no. And you know, we love to praise him when he says yes, and then we love to doubt him when he says no. And that doesn't make any sense. If he says no, it's still an answer, and we should praise him there too. And then sometimes, and I'll be honest, you guys have heard me say this before, sometimes he says, wait, I would rather he say no, because at least if he says no, then I know it's done. When he says wait, that's where I struggle. I have a patience issue, right? Like I have none. And when he says wait, I struggle with that. But he says wait sometimes. But in either case, or any case, it's still an answer. He says you do not have because you do not ask. Why would we stop asking? Now, if he said no, then maybe he wants us to ask differently. If he says wait, then he wants us to persist. And if he says yes, then we keep asking and we keep praising him for that answer. In any case, we continue praising him for that answer. Because if he says no, it's for a good reason. If he says wait, it's for a good reason. And so I want to encourage you. Don't give up in prayer. Don't ever give up in prayer. I, I know people, they say, well, I've been praying for the same thing for five years or 10 years or 15 years. I have family members I've been praying for for 25 years that aren't saved yet. Gee, so tomorrow, does my desire change? Well, I guess it's been 25 years. If they're not going to get saved, they can go to hell. Fine. I'm moving on. No. I'm going to keep praying for them. I'm going to keep praying for them. I'm going to keep sharing the gospel. And hopefully, Holy Spirit will move in their heart. He goes on, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. And I like the word for amiss here. It means miserable, grieved, evil, or diseased. Right? One of the many pleasant things we're going to discuss this morning. So what does it mean when we ask amiss to spend it on our pleasures? It means our request is miserable. It means our request grieves the heart of God. It means our request is evil or is diseased. When we ask amiss, when we go to God and we say, I want this, but I want it for me. Miserable, grieved, evil, or diseased request. Everyone's feeling encouraged now, right? Some may say, I've asked, I've prayed, I've sought the Lord, I still haven't gotten a response. So my question becomes, what's your motivation? What's your motivation? Are you asking for yourself, or are you asking to glorify God and advance his kingdom? We all sometimes pray selfish prayers, and, and this is no judgment. I do the same thing. But even when we're praying for our family, or we're praying for a personal need like provision or healing for somebody we love... Even then, are we asking because we want that provision to bring God glory, because we want that healing to bring God glory, or are we asking because we want it for us, for me, 
Lord, if you would just do this, then I can tell everybody how great I am. Right? I know nobody actually says that. I really hope not. But how often do our prayers reflect it? What's your motivation in asking? You want to know why you're not getting an answer or why that answer is constantly no? What's your motivation? Think about Hannah in Samuel, back in the book of 1 Samuel. For years, she prayed over and over and over and over again for a son. And for years, her husband, Elkanah, his wife, Penina, and they had great names in the Old Testament, right? We have a Hannah, and that's a great name, but Elkanah and Penina missed the boat. Your brother could have been Elkanah. Your sister could have been Penina. Aren't you thankful that I didn't do that? But the whole time, Penina just keeps picking on Hannah, making fun of her because she's popping out kids and Hannah has none and Hannah's getting all upset and she goes to her husband, give me a son. He's like, I can't do that. And this whole thing happens and the husband said, I love you more than her anyway. What are you worried about? Yeah, that went well. Just a good lesson in why having multiple wives is a bad idea. And one day she goes to the temple. They go up there for their yearly worship. And she, or, well, it wasn't the temple, it was the tabernacle at the time. And, and they go up to the tabernacle and she's in there praying and her lips are moving, but no sound comes out. And Eli, the, the high priest at the time, thinks she's drunk. And says, what are you doing in here drunk? And she says, I'm not drunk, I'm praying. And Eli says, well, then the Lord give you your request. And what was her request? Lord, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. Her motivation had to change. I want a son for me. I want a son so my husband will love me. I want a son so his other wife won't make fun of me. I want a son so that my son can be the inheritance and so that I can get rid of my shame, so that I can get rid of my guilt. And finally she said, no, I want a son, Lord, but he'll be yours. And God said, you got it. Motivation. Verse 4, just in case we're not having enough fun yet, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace, therefore he said, God Resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Adulterers and adulteresses. Seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? A little bit. But anytime we seek anything other than God, anytime we put anything before him in our lives, it is a form of idolatry. And the Bible often compares adultery to idolatry. Hosea 4, 12 through 14 talks about that. So imagine a marriage where one spouse puts anything else, other than Jesus, of course, Jesus is always going to be first, but puts anything else ahead of the other spouse. Maybe it's their job. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's the kids. What's going to happen to the other spouse? Well, they're going to feel left out. They're going to feel maybe abandoned. Maybe they're going to feel unloved. Even if it's not true. But this isn't what we're called to in our relationship with God. Certainly not what we're called to in our relationship with our spouse. 
But this is what happens when we decide we want to have a friendship with the world. Right? Just, just imagine that marriage. Oh, honey, you don't understand. I, I know I'm hanging out with this other woman, but we're just friends. How long is that guy going to be alive? Probably not very long. Just saying. You guys all know. If I ever disappear, John has already offered to help my wife bury me. Right? I, I love how people gang up on me. It's so nice. But I tell people all the time, if I ever cheat on my wife, my wife has my permission to kill me. And John has my permission to help her bury me and hide it from the police. I'm not even, I'm not even going to be mad, bro. I did it. I deserve that. Totally and completely. My, my wife knows where the guns are. I mean, it's... <laughs> I've taught her how to shoot. Right? That's no big deal. Right? Maybe I'm forgiven. Right? We all get to heaven. John and Leah show up. I'm like, hey, you guys did the right thing. Should have buried me a little deeper. The coyotes found me. But still. Oh, we're just friends. Don't worry about it. No. Friendship with the world makes us an enemy of God. Now, I'm not telling you if you're married, you can't have friends. Or that you can't maybe have friends of the opposite sex. It's a it's touchy and tricky and that's why I don't counsel women alone and I don't go places with women that I'm not related to alone I just don't the word for enmity here though it's kind of a fun word it means hostility or opposition none of us would ever wake up in the morning and say I'm going to spend my day being hostile towards God I, you, know, you know my goal for today is to be in opposition to God. Yeah, that sounds like a, a good plan, right? At least I hope not. I don't even think most people who aren't believers wake up with that attitude. I'm sure there's some that do. But anytime we put worldly things ahead of God, we put ourselves in opposition to him. 1 John 2, 12, uh, 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The same three things that Satan used to get Eve, to deceive Eve in the Old Testament. She saw that the fruit looked good. That it would be good for food, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and that it would make her wise, the pride of life. Satan tried the same three tactics with Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Showed him all the kingdoms of the earth, right? Lust of the eyes. You're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. Lust of the flesh. Bow down. I'll give it all to you. Pride of life. Jesus teaches us how to answer. We were talking about this in Sunday school this morning. He prayed before it happened, right? Don't wait till it, you're in the middle of the temptation to start praying. Pray before, right? Be prepared with prayer and respond with the word. It's that simple. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Get behind me, Satan, to worship and serve the Lord God only. The world, and I want to be, you know, well, some of us have cars, right? Anybody here have a car? Does that mean we love the world? 
my notes are on a $1,200 iPad. Does that mean I love the world? A little bit. Can't help it. I love my Apple products. But uh, and I know and I'm probably going to get thrown off Facebook for this. Apple is an evil, faceless corporation. But I can't help that their stuff works. That's not my fault that their stuff works. But do I ever put my iPad before my relationship with Jesus? If I did, I'd take it out for target practice. If that ever happened. Do we ever worship our cars? I mean, some people do. But hopefully not. If we realize that the things of the world, there are things here for us to enjoy. Look where we live. Should we not enjoy this beautiful creation that God has allowed us to live in? Of course we should. Does that mean that we, we, we shouldn't have a house or a car or a television or, or go out to eat? It means we don't put those things ahead of our relationship with God. Ever. Why? Because God is jealous for us. The Spirit of God dwells in us and yearns jealously for us. The word for yearn there means to intensely crave. And the word jealous, of course, means envious. Yes, he gives us grace, so much grace that we can't even comprehend, but it doesn't change his jealousy for us. Let's go back to our illustration of a, a husband and wife where one of them has a friend. Quoting Mark's friend. You ever been jealous of your spouse? My wife's doing kids ministry, so I'd be a little more honest than normal. No, I'm joking. But have you ever been jealous for your spouse? Now, my wife has never given me a reason to be jealous. Uh, I don't think I've ever given her a reason to be jealous. But I remember a long time ago we were dating. Now, you have to keep two things in mind. Maybe three or four things. When we were dating, I was not a Christian. When we were dating, my temper, which still exists, but back then I just let it off the leash because I was an idiot. Um, and I had absolutely, uh, well, very little respect for any human being. I just, I was very, I was an awful person. Aren't you glad I'm not, well, hopefully that I'm not that guy anymore? I know I am, but... We were playing miniature golf. I don't even know if my wife would remember this story, but we were playing miniature golf, and I saw her talking to some guy she went to high school with, and um, gave him a hug, and he walked away. A friend of mine had to restrain me because I was going to go pummel this guy. Nothing happened. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't anything. My wife hugs guys all the time now, and I'm like, eh. But... <laughs> She ain't giving this up, but thank you for laughing at me. But um, I, was, I was infuriated. I started screaming, slamming car doors, hitting stuff. My, my, like I said, my friend was there. He was like getting between me like, whoa, whoa. Because I just got so insanely jealous. Now I'm very grateful that in my maturity and in how much... My wife loves me and how much I love her and we trust each other that now if I see her talking to God, I'm like, oh, what do you want? <laughs> you know, it's, it's not the same anymore because I don't think she's going anywhere. I know I'm not going anywhere. But back then I was very insecure and very foolish and I just lost it. But that to me signifies 
this intense jealousy that's described for us here in James chapter 4. So how do you think God feels when we start flirting with the world? When we start giving our affection to things that he knows are terrible for us, that he knows will destroy us and tear us down, and he doesn't want that for us. He wants us to have a relationship with him, to be healthy, to be well, to be whole, spiritually and physically and emotionally. He wants to work in our lives in that way. And then he sees us all flirting with something that he knows is going to kill us, that he knows is going to tear us apart. That's where this intense jealousy comes from. He doesn't want that for us. He gives us grace so that we can avoid those things. Grace for salvation, grace for our relationships, grace for our vocations, daily living, grace to grow, grace upon grace. But it doesn't negate his intense jealousy for us. He has given us so much. Shouldn't we give him everything in return? And this is why he says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's from Proverbs 3.34. What can slow the flow of grace in our lives? Our pride. And I know, we can do something that can slow the flow of grace, and I'm not saying our pride makes us lose our salvation. I'm not saying our pride makes it so God abandons us and doesn't want us to do anything anymore. But, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. That's not me. That's what he says. So when we're proud, God will resist that in us, which means it will slow down that flow of grace into our lives, I think. Pride is so, so destructive. That story I just told you almost ended my relationship with while she was my girlfriend at the time. And here we are about to celebrate 25 years with three beautiful children. Well, that one's not ours. She belongs to someone else. But two of my three beautiful children are here. We take her, though. I mean, we're fond of Jessica. (laughs) What would have happened? My pride, my anger, almost ruined that more than once. I just shared the one. As followers of Christ, there's no room for pride in our lives. When we are humble before the Lord, he opens the floodgates of heaven to pour out the abundance of his grace that we need every day. And that's where we get to verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. There are a lot of verses in the Bible that are quoted out of context. I think this is one of the big ones. Right? A lot of people love I, uh, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
but they, they don't read before where Paul says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. I know how to live with plenty and how to live with nothing. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What was he talking about? Well, he knows how to suffer persecution for Christ's sake. And he can do that through the strength of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't like that. Right? We like to take a verse out and apply it to sports or, or I don't know, hot dog eating contest. 84 hot dogs in six minutes. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus doesn't want you to do that. I'm just throwing that out there. He does not want you to eat 84 hot dogs. No. I can say that with confidence. Right? Somebody made a t-shirt, and I almost bought it. My wife told me no. Um, it says, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Right? So people love to take this verse. Oh, submit to God. And resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And they stop. Aren't we missing something? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Well, I don't, I, no, that'll discourage people. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. I, I don't want to hear that. Lament and mourn and weep. Not in our culture. So we're going to talk about it. The word therefore, why is it there? I always ask it. I'm going to ask it again. When we see the word therefore, we have to ask what it's there for. And in this case, the word is here to connect us to the last six verses. What do we do with our pleasure-seeking pride? And here's the answer. Number one, submit to God. Put yourself under subjection and obedience to God. This is step one. We give ourselves wholly and completely to him, and everything that God has for us is the, on the other side of that surrender. Matthew 16, 24 through 25, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Right? People love their fire insurance. Well, I don't want to go to hell, so I believe in Jesus. But give my whole life to him, surrender everything to him, be obedient to everything he says. Boy, I, I'm, just, I'm just not that kind of Christian. That's the only kind of Christian there is. Some people look at, at, at folks who are missionaries or people who are pastors and they go, oh, well, I could never do that. Well, maybe that's not what God's called you to, but it doesn't change that he has a purpose and ministry for you. Oh, I, I couldn't give all that up to follow Christ. Then you're not really following Christ. And I'm sorry. I, if I have to listen to the Holy Spirit all week long, tell me this. You've got to listen to it too. Because I know it's not easy to hear. We all want to think we're okay. Are you following Christ like this? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I'm not saying all this to make you feel guilty. I'm not saying all this so that you'll leave. I ain't never going back to that church. That dude's mean. I'm telling you this because it's what the Bible says. Paul declared in the book of Acts that I am innocent of the blood of all men because I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God and one day as we talked about when we were James chapter 3 I'm going to stand before God for everything I say up here so I'm going to give you the truth 
I'm going to give you all the truth. And hopefully, you're listening to that truth. But if you don't listen to it, at least I gave it to you. And then, your judgment's your problem, not mine. See all the love I have? I'm telling you all this because I don't want you to go that way. I don't want you to experience that. So submit to God. Number two, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Stand against and oppose the enemy's work in your life. When we submit to God first and oppose the devil next, he must flee, which means run away, escape, or vanish from our life and our situation. Now, we cannot resist the devil if we have not submitted to God. We like to think we can, but we can't. I don't have that kind of strength on my own, and neither do you. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. When we submit our lives to God and the devil comes after us, we can look at him and in the power of God's spirit say, no. No. As we're talking about in Sunday school, you can't sit here. You can't have a place in my thought life. You can't have a place in my marriage. You can't have a place in my job, in my church, in my family, in my community. No. Only when we submit to God first. And then 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 tells us, Be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, how? Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. How do we resist him? By faith. In the only one true Submit to him, resist the devil, and he will flee. Third step, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Seems so simple, doesn't it? That's because it is. Our relationship with God through Jesus Christ has similar qualities to any other relationship we have. When you want to be closer to your spouse, or you want to get closer to a friend, or you want to be closer to your child, what do you do? You spend time with them. Pretty straightforward. You invest time in that relationship. When we want to submit to God and resist the devil, then we must be closer to God, and we can do that by investing our time in our relationship with him. Read the Bible. I don't have time to read the Bible. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Well, you don't understand how busy I am. I know how busy you are, because I know how busy I am. And we don't have to sit down and compare notes. It's not a contest, but you got time to watch TV at night. You got time to scroll through Instagram, smash your phone with a hammer, and pick up your Bible. Unless, of course, you're reading your Bible on your phone, then just get rid of all the other apps you don't need. You got time. And if you think you don't, then you're putting something in the place of God. Pray. Right? Not just over meals, even though that's a great place to start. Dear Lord, please bless this banana split. You don't ask God to bless a banana split. You apologize for it, eat it, and move on. <laughs> but you get into the Word. You get into prayer. You get into service. You want to know how to 
experience the presence of God and how to know what it's like to please your father. Serve the people around you. Oh, it's amazing. Come to church. Good job. Y'all did it. This week. We'll see about Wednesday. And No, I'm joking. I'm not like that. But you want to get closer to him? Invest the time to get closer to him. I, I tell people quite often, you always have time for the things that are important to you. And we typically always have money for the things that are important to us. You ever notice that? Well, man, I just, I really don't want to do that. I really, uh, I'm, I'm really bad at this. If somebody said, hey, you want to spend $3,000 on a new tree for your backyard? No. You want to spend $3,000 on a new guitar? Well, you know, that, well, that, that's, you know, that's for the kingdom of God, of course. Right? Isn't that amazing? I would never spend three grand on a tree. But if you cut it up, shape it, and paint it blue, it's a little different story now, isn't it? Now, don't get me wrong. I always pray before I buy anything like that. And I always ask my wife. Because, well, I'm smart. Uh, and I'm just not going to spend that kind of money without talking to my wife first. But you spend the time. Number four, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Number four, here's the fun one. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Right? If I say it with a smiley voice, will that help? Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Doesn't change the meaning, does it? Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Do we want to be closer to God? Do we want the strength to resist the enemy by submitting to him? Do we want a growing relationship with him? This means constantly turning from our sin in repentance and mourning over that sin. Many think repentance is a one-time thing. We get saved. Somebody tells you Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the grave. Repent of your sins. Believe in him and you'll be saved. Great, I repented of my sins. I believe in him. Woohoo! Right, and it's true. But repentance is a constant in the life of a believer because unfortunately, so is sin. Anybody here go all this week without committing any sin whatsoever? So glad none of the hands went up. That's why I love you guys. You're honest. Right? My hand ain't going to go up either. I probably sinned this morning. Let's not talk about that. But here's what it's about. Repentance, but also our attitude towards sin. You know, if you go to a prison and you ask the people in that prison if they're sorry for what they did, almost every single one of them will tell you that they're sorry. But if you get to the heart of it, they've actually done studies on this. If you get to the heart of it, what they're sorry about is that they got caught. Not that what they did was wrong. Right? We get sorry when we get caught. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, officer. I, I know I was going a little too fast and I didn't mean it. My wife gets mad at me. I tend to get out of tickets. And I haven't gotten pulled over in a long time because I've slowed down in my old age. But I tend to get out of tickets because I'm always honest with the cops. I remember I got pulled over once doing 57 and a 35. I was delivering a pizza, so it's justified? No, it wasn't. 57 and a 35. Cop pulled me over. He goes, you know how fast you were going? I said, yeah, I think I was, I, I thought I was going 56. And he goes, well, I clocked you at 57. <laughs> well, fair enough. I'm sure your gun is accurate. He goes, do you know what the posted speed limit is? I said, yep, 35. 
And he looked over and he saw the pizza. He said, hang on a second. He came back and he wrote me the ticket for like 10 miles an hour over so I could get a traffic court. And I told my wife, she's like, how did you get out of that? I said, it's just on it. Friend of mine, same spot, same cop. Basically the same speed. I think he was actually doing 55 instead of 57. Argued with the cop. Said that he was going with the flow of traffic. He didn't have any choice. He got a $400 fine. Let's just be honest. But I wasn't really sorry for what I had done. I was sorry that I got caught. We need to mourn our sin. We need to lament. We shouldn't be laughing over our sin. You ever met somebody who laughs about their sin? Yeah, I know. I know I cheated on my wife. But that's just, just what guys do. I'm not allowed to smack people. But I really wish it said that in the Bible somewhere. Right? As a pastor, if someone comes into your office and they're stupid, you can smack them. It doesn't say that in the Bible, so I don't do it. Doesn't mean I don't feel like it, because I'm human. And I've sat with people before who have cheated on their wives and laughed about it. I've looked at them and said, what is wrong? A, don't you know the pain you've caused this other person? B, don't you know what it took to take care of your sin? When we laugh at sin, when we treat it lightly, when we pretend that it's not a big deal, we disrespect the cross. We disrespect our Savior who paid the ultimate price to save us from that sin. It's not a joke. Charles Spurgeon said, sincere repentance is continual. Believers repent until their dying day. This dropping well is not intermittent. What is sincere repentance? Well, sincere repentance is not just sorrow over our sin. It involves the fruit of repentance, which is a change in our lives, according to Luke 3.8. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. When you say you're sorry, when you say you repented, you don't keep going. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to make a mistake. It doesn't mean you're not going to stumble, because we're not talking about perfection. Right? When I told you all to raise your hand if you didn't sin this week, right? We all have. And I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to judge you. Because I have too. What I'm here to say is, when you blow it, treat sin as what it is. And repent of it. Number five, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And this is the final piece of this puzzle. It's humility in the sight of God. And humility, as we've talked about many times, it's not thinking less of ourselves, like, oh, I'm such a horrible, rotten person, even though most of us are. Um, it's just about thinking of ourselves less. It's being honest with ourselves about our failures and our need for God's power and grace to bring us forgiveness to help us overcome those failures. We need humility to submit to God. We need humility to resist the devil. We need humility to draw near to God. To truly repent of our sin because humility is the recognition of our weakness. It's the recognition of our great need for him. And when we're humble, he will lift us up. Jesus said this in Luke 14, 11, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. We're going through the book of Joshua right now. And when you look at the history of Joshua, 
When you see him in Exodus and Leviticus, well, you don't see him so much in Leviticus, but Exodus and Numbers, you see a humble man who's drawing near to God. And when you get to the book of Joshua, God says, now, Joshua, I'm going to exalt you. Right? We like that part. I want to be exalted. Be honest. Let's not, well, I do too. But what comes first? Humility. Now, when we do God's job and we exalt ourselves, guess what? He's going to do ours and humble us. And if you've never experienced that, you can call me when you do, and I will walk you through it. It happens to me on a regular basis. Pickleball. You guys love it when I talk about pickleball, right? Over the course of the last two years, I think I've gotten pretty good at pickleball. And then I play a guy who's 87 and moves like this, and he destroys me on the court. And I, I walk off, I'm like, thanks for the lesson. <laughs> I appreciate it, right? Because when we exalt ourselves, God is really good about knocking us down a few notches. But what happens when we humble ourselves, when we do our job, and we humble ourselves, well, then God promises to exalt us. Now, that may not mean position, wealth, fame, anything like that here on earth. But one day, before the throne of God, we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I want that more than anything this world has to offer. As we close, where do wars and fights come from? James answered that question for us with the reality that it's our own selfish pleasures that often lead to such difficulties in our lives. We've talked about the necessity of prayer, the necessity of God's grace at work in our lives, how we must humbly submit to God, repenting of our sin and resisting the devil so that he will flee from us as we draw closer to God in our relationships with him. As we do, he promises to draw near to us and he promises to exalt us in our humil humility. And these are precious promises to each of us who are followers of Christ. So let's take it home. How do we take it home? Question number one, do you have a relationship with Jesus to begin with? Everything I've talked about today is meaningless if you have not tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that you, if you have not been saved by turning from your sin and turning to Jesus, the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins, he rose the third day conquering sin and death. And the Bible tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So let me encourage you. If you've never done so, do so today. If you're here or you're joining us online, if you're online, send me a message. Leave us a comment. We will get in touch with you. If you're here, talk to us. Talk to somebody else. Uh, to most of the people in here, I'm very confident, would gladly be able to share the love of Christ with you and lead you into a relationship with him. So if you need that, please don't leave today without talking to somebody. Number two, what worldly thing might we be putting before God? This is a question you have to ask and answer for yourself between you and God. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a pleasure you can't give up. Whatever the case, we know that repentance and humility is the proper course of action. So give it to him today and be set free. Number three, where do you need to submit to God or draw closer to God than you currently are? Do you need to be in the word more or pray more or serve more? Do you need to surrender some area of your life or be obedient to something he's already told you? I don't know what it is for you. He and I have 
been talking about it all week long. You have to talk to him about it. And whatever it might be, take that next step of faith. That next step closer to him so that we can walk in the victory that he's given us in Christ and we can be more fully his in our own lives. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for loving us. And I know, <laughs> Father, that you would not have left this in the word if it wasn't important for us to hear. So God, I pray that you would help us to ask and spend our time in prayer seeking to advance your kingdom. Even when we're asking for things for ourselves or our families, Lord, that we would be asking to bring you glory. I pray, Father, that we would get rid of sin by your grace and power and the spirit at work in our lives, that we would repent of it, that we would humble ourselves before you. And that as we submit to you, that you would give us the grace and power to resist the devil. And that in all things, God, you would be glorified. Thank you for how much you love us. I pray that you would be with us as we go about the rest of our day and enter into a new week. Use it all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.